This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It is 5.07. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. And first up today, we are responding to Hadi Awang's statement that the majority of people involved in corruption are non-Muslims and non-Bumiputra. Or uh, the alternate version of what I just said is, how do you respond to sweeping racial statements that don't come backed up by facts and figures? Yes, so this has its beginnings on uh, from a Facebook post uh, posted on Saturday by past President Tan Sri Abdul Hadi Awang. Uh, it was a really long post, by the way, in which he called for the eradication of corruption in Malaysia. And he said that if we want to deal with corruption, we have to tackle it from the grassroots. Um, and he said that people who chased uh, illicit gains were detrimental to the country's economy and politics, and then went on to say, and this is really the kicker, uh, that the majority of people who who are involved in corruption were non-Muslims and non-Bumiputras. And then no real explanation or justification for where this claim comes from. But quite unsurprisingly, of course, this has uh, gotten a lot of attention, a lot of pushback. Yeah, I mean, there's some irony attached here, I think, in general, in terms of where the statement is coming from. And the irony extends to the fact that I think many people would agree that we need to eradicate corruption in Malaysia, that we have to tackle it from the grassroots, that it is detrimental to the country's economy and politics, all that stuff we can agree with. I think where the deviation happens is when we talk about um, who is responsible for it exactly and why, in fact, we need to talk about it through a racial lens. I think that's the other question because you can, of course, say outright, no matter the irony, that you would like to have corruption done away with in our country. This is broadly a statement that most people um, most people would agree with or say themselves. It's something we hear very often on our show. Why it has to be then attached to the view that, well, let me tell you who the villains are, I think is is an important question. Because I don't think there's actually a lot of... Validity is one thing, but need for the conversation to go in this direction anyway. No need is one. And if you are going to make a statement like that, and it is a big statement yeah, to say is. most of the people involved in corruption are non-Muslims and non-Bumiputra, then you better have the facts to back it up and you better share those facts with us, right? And also to what end? Um, I mean, it, these are all questions that um, I think is, is quite naturally why people have pushed back and are asking really... Um, where is this coming from? What is the intention? So, for instance, DAP Chairman Lim Guan Eng said that these remarks demonstrate that the past president is a clear and present danger to Malaysian unity um, and said that despite being unable to back up, uh, despite the, the, the fact that these can't be backed up, that Malaysians shouldn't be blinded by this sort of... Um, these sort of statements. Uh, Guaning also said that it was a tragedy that non-Muslim and non-Bumi component parties in the current government um, haven't really come out to criticise this and in fact support PAS as their partner in power. Uh, meanwhile, Lemba Pantai MP Fami Fazil told Malaysia Kini that this was a wild allegation that wasn't justified. He asked where Hadi Awang got these figures, said that the MACC doesn't release a breakdown of ethnicity of those who had been arrested for corruption um, and then brought up a number of examples. 1MDB, for instance, pointed out how the primary decision maker there was Dato Sri Najib Raza, the LCS scandal where those involved uh, were allegedly Najib, as well as AMNO President Datu Sri Dr. Ahmad Zahid Hamidi. And Fami went on to say this is a case of harapkan paga, paga makan padi, uh, and said that we have to stop 
putting the blame on others. Additionally, uh, DAP's Malay representatives, including Yang Shifura Othman, Sharidzan Johan, Sheikh Umar Bagrarib Ali, um, all basically questioned why then uh, Malaysia's Corruption Perception Index ranking has worsened, despite the fact that PAS has been in government since 2020, uh, also pointing to countries like Denmark, Finland, New Zealand, among the top countries fighting corruption, saying even Singapore has left us far behind and pointing out that really none of these countries are Muslim majority, but that their seriousness against corruption is much better than Malaysia. So this is where I think it's fair to say that this Facebook post had a wide reach, right? It went in all sorts of directions. It was widely reported. It was widely shared. And so we would like to hear, um, basically, how does this statement make you feel? Because, because in many ways, it's just the latest in an ongoing racial missives back and forth direction that our country's political conversation seems to be taking increasingly. So yes, um, how did the statement from Hadi Awang, Tan Sri Abdul Hadi Awang, make you feel? You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp and send us a voice note at 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. So we are waiting on our guest who is at the moment unfortunately stuck in traffic. I think a lot of people listening to us might be in the same situation. Um, it's raining. Drive safe, by the way. Please take care and please stay tuned. Um, but while we wait, for Jason Wee, co-founder of Architects of Diversity. Sharmila, I think our tone perhaps has given a clear indication of how we might be feeling. But since we're asking everyone, I wanted to ask you, how did it make you feel? I will say I'm straight up frustrated. And a couple of things went through my mind, right? One actually to echo Fami, a lot of the recent headlines. Um, but let's let me not turn this into a racial conversation. Instead, I just want, I think the reason for my frustration was instead thinking about how a leader like Hadi Awang is hugely influential and how his words, while some of us who may not necessarily subscribe to his um, his style of leadership may maybe discount, I still think what he says carries a lot of weight and it frustrates me when someone in this position of power says stuff like this. So for me, I have to admit that it made me sad and that's not an emotion that I expected to feel. I, th I thought I would, you know, my veins would be coursing with righteous anger. But instead, um, when, when I read it, actually, my first impulse was to, to feel sad that there are people who want to create this sort of feeling and distrust among Malaysians who share our lives in a very, very mixed society, right? Mm -hmm. um, regardless of how how divided we feel at times. The truth of the matter is we walk every day in a very mixed society. And I don't think it's a pleasant feeling to walk around and, and wonder to yourself, is this what you think of me? And is this what you think of me purely on the basis of, of race and religion? And um, yeah, and, and it was just a... A, a surprising feeling. So let us know, how did the statement make you feel? Again, uh, we're talking about a Facebook post from Tan Sri Abdul Hadi Awang, past president, who called for the eradication of corruption and then kind of placed the blame for this, saying that the majority of people involved in corruption are non-Muslims, non-Bumiputra. Uh, we'd like to hear from you on this. That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp and send us a voice note, 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bigotry Free Malaysia, BFM 89.9.
It is almost 5.16. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. And we're speaking today about really how to react when we see political leaders making sort of sweeping statements that don't come backed up by facts and figures um, and asking you, how you feel about it, particularly... This is, of course, about a particular statement uh, made by past President Tan Sri Abdul Hadi Awang uh, saying that the majority of people involved in corruption are non-Muslims, non-Bumiputra. That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp and send us a voice note, 018-789-8899, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now to talk about this is Jason Wee, co-founder of Architects of Diversity. Jason, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me again. Um, so firstly, what was your initial reaction when you heard about the statement? Right. So I, I think the statement we heard from Tan Sri Hadi Awang wasn't surprising per se, right? I think it's we need to understand the context behind it. Two points on that. One, we're definitely nearing election season. And we definitely know, and as we've seen in the Malacca and Johor state elections previously, that around this time, politicians oftentimes make, as what you mentioned, sweeping remarks about other groups. And this is most definitely has to do with mobilizing their own supporters and definitely raising the kinds of threat they perceive from other groups. I think the second thing we need to understand, as and my initial reaction when I heard the statement, was that uh, this is definitely in the context of the corruption trials that have been on on late, especially when you could say the Malay group is being perceived as either corrupt, and then there's this kind of need to shift this blame away to another group. And so this is kind of a typical blame shift game that we're seeing here uh, that has to do with political. I don't even know, um, even to some extent, you know, how many of these political leaders actually believe in the statement, but rather we need to see this as a political tool at play. And we are, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably not the audience of this message. So it is coming from a political leader, as you pointed out. Should public figures be more responsible when making statements like this? I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, for, for sure, right? But I think we need to understand the purpose of this, this statement, uh, especially in a climate that is politically confusing at the moment, where many youth and even adults that we're speaking to uh, find it difficult to understand the political uh, climate at, at the moment. What this statement does uh, is really mobilize the most essential fear of the other, uh, especially the political other. We know that non-Bumiputras, or more specifically, the Chinese in Malaysia have been stereotyped as one, controlling the economy, or two, having kind of this implicit agenda where there's apparently this council of Chinese individuals sitting around controlling the economy. Uh, we know obviously that this isn't true, um, but statements like this reinforce this imagined um, kind of control and threat that you know, apparently Chinese individuals or non-Bumiputra individuals have against the Malay community. So really, um, while I wish political leaders would be more responsible, uh, if, if, if anything, I think it benefits them, especially the crowd they're speaking to already do have these entrenched ideas. And uh, these statements mobilize and motivate them to go out and vote in the upcoming general elections uh, against parties that would be perceived as non-Bumiputra, at least. So you specifically worked with work with facts and surveys. In fact, most frequently when you're on, it's a talk about findings like that. Do you think that the conversation about difficult issues like race, for example, is different when you actually have figures to back it up? Right. Most definitely, right? I think what the power of surveys is really to, one, illustrate and describe how society currently perceives issues, but also, number two, to kind of correct figures at play. 
Um, most statistics that we've seen, especially when it comes to race-based issues, uh, the disparity is huge. For example, when we ask about when we protect privilege and when we put for which are um, special rights, all these the numbers on these are usually drastic. Uh, but I think that more so uh, goes to the fact that one, we haven't had that space of conversation yet. But also number two, um, we need to recognize that these issues are intentionally architectured to be difficult to talk around. Uh, we do not, for example, uh, with the latest release from uh, the Department of Statistics, I think there have been a number of parties that have been calling for more uh, desegregated figures between Bumiputra uh, Malay and Bumiputra Sabah Sarawak figures because those figures are conflated and oftentimes either inflate or deflate certain economic standings of particular groups. And because we don't have access to these figures, uh, sure, uh, we it's very difficult, number one, to correct these assumptions at play among the public. Because once the moment individuals have these perceptions at play, uh, we really have um, you know, not, no tools in the toolbox to kind of correct for these perceptions. And so it is very difficult. And I think number two, it well, one of the points I think at play at hand is we need more, more of these figures, um, especially to counter in, in this case, Tansi Hadi Awang's statement, uh, for example, have I, if I, we don't hear statistical numbers about how many corruption cases are there between races, perhaps, you know, we can immediately dismiss that as true fact because we have a primacy effect. We oftentimes uh, tend to take in these statements as true if it supports a certain worldview at play. That's exactly what I wanted to pick up on, actually, despite the fact that it's not backed up by facts, these statements basically play on people's existing prejudices and biases. Could you help us understand the larger impact of these comments, um, especially when it comes to how Malaysians might think of each other? Yeah, that's 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 a great comment. And I think, especially in the context of Malaysia, where um, we already have a system at play uh, that have been uh, created by one politicians, but also it's kind of this kind of idea of social contract that we've had uh, since Merdeka or May 13, if, if in fact we do not have a social contract, uh, that it is nothing written, in, if anything. Uh, many corners of academia have also kind of supplanted this idea that different systems of power between races uh, is somewhat of a situation we've come, as everyone has come to accept. But in fact, uh, that really isn't the case, right? There has not been uh, so-called so, so a social contract at play. And so what these comments do um, is really, it creates a perception that some group is uh, reneging on this social contract or overcoming or overstepping boundaries uh, that were previously social social socially acceptable. And because of the different norms at play, uh, this can also affect number one, how we perceive other groups in terms of threat, right? So how much are they going to rob me of my resources? How much are they going to uh, try to dominate or subvert my group? The second thing is it also creates ambiguity when it comes to interacting with other groups. So for example, if I as a Chinese individual uh, start perceiving other Malays as thinking I am you know, this conniving, uh, economically threatening individual, then I will also have that ambiguity uh, when interacting with them. And it's exactly that ambiguity that creates the kind of climate of fear or climate of threat uh, that we're perhaps perceiving to be increasing, especially as we're approaching elections. So not only does this, you know, hampen and damper certain conversations or race that we definitely need in times of election, uh, it can also, you know, dig the hole even deeper as we enter a more entrenched 
viewpoint, differenting, differentiated viewpoints between groups that we will, I think, in time to come, find ourselves in a very difficult place where it's going to be difficult to dig ourselves out of. So in considering this sort of statement where it's very emotive um, and yet also there's there's no fact to it and it's already got a widespread, uh, what is the best way to respond to these remarks? Right. And then I, I think the word you mentioned there where it's emotive, it's that's really the key here. That um, I've only really seen this comment on English social media uh, that this has been you know played over and over again. And I think one, um, obviously countering these remarks with factual evidence is key. And that's really um, the role of, I think, media outlets and various social media influencers to kind of negate those things. But second, um, a lot of the, the issues with emotive content, especially ones that are on social media, uh, research has shown that sometimes, even though you put out counterfactual statements or correcting statements, right, those oftentimes don't get as popular or they don't go as viral as the initial statement. And that's because they don't have the anger or you know threatening laden content that the initial statement had. So oftentimes, uh, you know, I'm very, for example, uh, conscious about what I retweet or reshare on social media now because oftentimes these contents get bigger when even people like you and I who are you know don't support these kinds of statements retweet them in caution. And so oftentimes not engaging with this content and not re-emphasizing this message might be actually. Uh, the best way to go about it. So Transparency International President Mohammad Mohan has said that those who make remarks like these should be held accountable by law enforcement and regulatory agencies. Uh, what do you think of that? To some extent, I, I think obviously there is a great need to address hate speech in the nation. I think this has been a topic that's been kind of floated around in parliament for the past decade. Um, few thoughts to this. Number one, I think the question is what does he what you know what will probably be what will probably be meant by accountable? Do we mean a very a penalty? Do we mean uh, bring them to court? You know what exactly this this form of accountability is? Because that fear of punishing more speech in Malaysia, I think, is especially prevalent given that we have various laws such as the Sedition Act that still you know inhibits freedom of speech. So my fear, on at least on the first level, is kind of the skepticism of this tool or this law. Uh, being used appropriately and not being used to punish certain quarters. That's the first thing. The second thing, I think, even though, um, you know, Tan Sri Hadi Awang has said this, as you mentioned, this is probably a view that's upheld or, you know, very much believed uh, by various different quarters of society. So the moment people feel that they cannot express what they actually feel, uh, that's the moment where conversations about race become even more difficult. Uh, so in many ways, perhaps, Regulating freedom, uh, hate speech, you could say, to such high degree of maintaining the peaceful status quo might actually be detrimental to actually advancing conversations about race because we don't get to overturn or we don't get to flesh out these conversations in public. So rather than say, you know, outlawing or you know, um, a kind of penalizing these statements uh, more more specifically, we need to have the infrastructure to handle and properly funnel these uh, thoughts and opinions about these statements. And that's really the infrastructure, at least public infrastructure, we don't have at the moment. Jason, in closing, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? I think, you know, um, as we approach elections, as we have, you know, we're, every day now we're just waiting for more news, as more news outlets come in. I think one thing to note is that um, we will probably see more of these statements uh, and in the news and in different corners. 
what I think is essential, especially as members of the public, we need to renounce these statements, at least in private, uh, at least among even, even in your Twitter feed, not retweet the kind of tweets and, you know, let it play out even more, but kind of to echo back the values that reconnect you to these communities that are actually being targeted by these kinds of messages. Uh, when Tansu Hedi Awang says these messages, it's to a very specific group of supporters that he needs to mobilize, or individuals that are vulnerable or at risk to be mobilized by these threatening messages. So really, uh, rather than sitting in your bubble, um, kind of uh, being comfortable with echoing this, I think really it's important to reach out to individuals that might be of a different voting demographic especially in the next few weeks or next few months to come as we approach the E15 uh, to ensure that, you know, having these conversations and overturning these assumptions that they have. Jason, thanks for speaking with us today. Thanks very much for having me again. That was Jason Wee, co-founder of Architects of Diversity, speaking to us um, in response to a statement that uh, kind of made its way over the weekend. Past President Tan Sri Abdul Hadi Awang uh, on Facebook wrote about the need to eradicate corruption in our country, all good there, and then went on to say that the majority of people involved in corruption in Malaysia were non-Muslims and non-Bumiputra, which is the part that has gotten, I think, a lot of people reacting. And we've been asking you, how did the statement make you feel? You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred WhatsApp or send us a voice note zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We have loads and loads of messages coming in, um, which we will return to look at after this. So do keep them coming through. Again, just a. Because it's raining, because it's gloomy, because we love hearing from you, I'm just going to remind you that you can call double seven double three two nine hundred, and you can also voice note 018-789-8899. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my, bfm89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.